0: Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina.
1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. So glad you could join us this afternoon. I'm John Grace, along with my cohort in crime, Daniel Medina, on uh, Fiscal Fitness, where we look at what's going on in the world in a way that we hope you can see exactly what it means to you. So we're not going to get lost in the weeds. We're not going to use a lot of jargon that people don't understand. We think that's uh, worthless. But we do try to show you some ideas that are either popular or not but those that we think can be applied because this thing called life has a whole lot of ups and downs, right? And this uh, COVID, right, seems to be a disaster of epic proportions. It's changing everything as we speak. But at the end of the day, no matter what the winds might do in terms of turning into a hurricane and blowing things up, and destroying property, the question becomes, how can you keep your house in good order? How can you make sure that no matter what happens on the outside of the house, for the most part, you can see the game you're playing, you can see that you're playing by the rules that you think are fair, and you can see how to limit your losses so it's not an OS moment. And of course, OS stands for, oh shucks, right? That's exactly what OS stands for. So uh, we've got Daniel Medina on the line here, and today we're gonna be talking about why might you need life insurance? uh Daniel will be helping us with the map here so that people can see uh, why that is an important question and and let me just kind of set the stage here and then we'll talk about the market for a bit and come back if you've got two breadwinners married or not it's 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 it doesn't matter you've got two people bringing cash into the household. So think of two people, generally it's two, um, and often they're married, but often these days they're not, but you're holding up a door, a big door even, right? Both on each end. So, and then you have all this stuff The house, the stuff, the cars, the house, all this stuff on this door that you're both trying to keep horizontal as far as the ground is concerned or the heavens are concerned. And then out of the blue, uh, no one saw this one coming. One of you drops the door and has to go to heaven. Now the question becomes, there's a whole lot of things sliding off that door because you're holding up one side, the other person is gone, and all the stuff on that door is coming crashing down. The question becomes, how can you keep these things aloft, and how can you make sure that where you might be in a situation where you miss the person, but you don't have to miss their money? So we'll come back to that, and I'm delighted Scott Zimmerman is with us. Uh, he's with Corporate Strategies, and he's a chartered life underwriter, registered health underwriter, uh, been in the business for over 20 years, and, and, a, and a real veteran, and, and one that uh, that we, uh, we we really like working with. Uh, And and Daniel, like when we get ready for break, give us an idea of how people can tune in, but also make sure you share with them how they can use the, um, the calculator, the insurance calculator for this conversation. We have two folks, one for financial planning and one for insurance. And this is a way for you to do on your own to see what's the math how much money am i going to need in the event the other breadwinner goes away that's and that's a personal question for each of you to struggle with as opposed to well i got 500,000 of the my partner has 500,000 my spouse has 500,000 it's equal we don't make 500,000 so that's that's more than enough so daniel we'll we'll take that as a as a as a number because it seems to be pretty pretty, um, it's one that we find people often do, they get the same amount, but they didn't do the math. And so we want to look at it, Daniel, from the standpoint of, okay, if you're going to use principal, if you're going to use interest, what does this 500,000 mean that you laughed saying I'm worth more dead than alive. But before we <clears throat> excuse me, get to that, let's talk about the market. It's up again today. Uh, NASDAQ's up nearly 2% for the day. That's a very big day. And we're looking at the larger picture. We're always going to be looking at the larger picture. We've been at, uh, this isn't our first time at the rodeo, uh, Investors Advantage, a company that I founded, has been around since 1979. And in fact, we've been helping clients individually put their customized plans in place one client at a time since 1979. Daniel Medina is our primary math man, and he's the one who makes sure we get the math right. And that way we can make sure that everything adds up properly so uh when we had the pleasure of also being associated with elite financial network along with securities america uh, that combination means that uh, the assets under management are about 800 million dollars at this time and that's uh that means you know we we have an idea of what we're doing and as they say we have we've only been doing it since 1979 so uh and then we're on the independent side so there's nobody directing us or telling us what we must do or what we must sell or what we must offer that's why we like being on the independent side so that we can really look at the clients through the client's lens. What are you trying to do? What are your options? And what might be the most efficient way to get the job done that you're trying to get done? But we, we, that way if we're tied into other people's products. There's some dictation going on there to say, well, you should be using a lot of this and not a lot of that. We don't we're that's not the way we like doing business. As I say, everything is uh, customized, no, no matter how large or how small the account might be so that folks can see we're we're on track. So to look at the, uh, the NASDAQ year to date. That's January 1 through uh, 308 Eastern time right now, today on uh, the 7th of October. The NASDAQ's up, geez, really nicely, up 26.68%. So let's just round up to 26.7%. That's a very good run so far this year. Then when we look at the S&P 500, notice the numbers are not as robust. Now, the NASDAQ is usually an indicator of what tech companies are doing. The S&P 500 is, is... Typically, the index that most people pay attention to, because it's a broader representation as to what 500 companies are doing, as opposed to just uh, you know anything less than 500. So year to date, again, uh, January 1 through today, October 7th. Uh, S&P 500 is up 5.93%. That's nearly 6%. That's that's a decent number so far this year. We'll see where we finish. And then let's look at the Dow, because sometimes we leave this out of the equation, but part of the reason we want you to focus on it is to notice the disparity. In other words, there's so many of us uh, that we find saying things like, happy days are here again, everything's going through the roof there's uh, no way anything's going to decline. And yet the Dow, and that's the Dow 30, it used to be the Dow 10 when it was first formed, 30 large companies, old style companies, if you will, is in negative territory, minus Uh, 0.73%. So uh, Mm -hmm. that's kind of surprising that the Dow would be negative. And on the other end, we see the NASDAQ well, by comparison wildly positive at almost 26.7% so far this year. So this this is these are good numbers for you to keep your eye on because it helps you really get a sense for what the whole picture is about and and what's really happening here. So I want to get into a discussion of something that Daniel and I found fascinating and I'm going to call it, uh, are you truck poor? <laughs> All right. I had the pleasure of uh, spending some time with uh, one of my son's friends and complimenting him on the truck that he has, and unfortunately, I thought I was going to uh, uh, spew the, the the cup of water I was drinking, admiring his truck, because I said, because I've gotten to know him, know him pretty well, I said, geez, what does something like this cost these days? I mean, this is, this is a truck and this thing is absolutely gorgeous. And, and I noticed the bed, it, it, I mean, my father had a truck, but it didn't look anything like this because he used it for the furniture he had to pick up and deliver as an upholsterer. This thing is spotless everywhere you look. And he says, well, it cost about a hundred grand. That's my first uh, time that I thought I was gonna choke. And then I begged uh, for a little bit more information. I discovered it was a $1,300 monthly payment for a truck that he does not need, but that's what he wants. And of course he wants the better interior, the more technology, the leather seats, the larger wheels, the different color coordinated areas. It looks spectacular, but let's put this in context. That's why I'm saying, are you truck poor? In America, we have a bad habit of buying stuff that we don't really need and it's costly. And so when we look at the economy, as long as you're spending your eye teeth out, you may be doing everything you can to make sure the economy works well, but you're not doing anything to make sure that your household will continue to do well. So if we look at $1,300 a month, which most people say that's where the math stops, and we multiply that times 12 months, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong here, Daniel, it's $15,600 a year. Now, that becomes interesting because one of the situations that we've described to you with a frontline worker, and by the way, we are offering to do financial plans for all frontline workers at no cost to make sure that they feel like they're being supported the way they're supporting us every day. So this was a couple, this is a couple making about $100,000 a year. And we looked to see when they wanted to become financially independent. We looked at their uh, pensions, hardly any and what they might get at Social Security, after doing the math and looking at Social Security, they thought it might be better for them to push out their age of trying to achieve financial dependence to 70 instead of any time sooner, because I would, part of the reason was that would also give them more time. So the math was what they needed to do, as Daniel helped them see this for the first time, is to set aside 15% of their $100,000 combined annual earnings which of course is $15,000, sound familiar? And if they do this and get a 7% return over the next 30 years or so, their mid thirties, as I say 70, 30, 35 years, they're, they would be on track for achieving their target, which they did not see of $2.6 million. Now, Daniel will talk about how you can see your target, but we think it makes sense for you to see your target as opposed to just spend the money or put the money on X or red or black without any ideas to what we're really trying to accomplish here and seeing the goal not much different than getting on an airplane, remember when that was safe, and you had an idea of what it would take for you to leave this airport, arrive at that one on time safely. It's the same kind of exercise. And yes, it means that we have to look at this regularly to see if your progress is being achieved or your goal is, is, is the odds are favorable to you. But if you don't know what you're doing, you're really flying blind. But of course, I said all of that to come back to, notice, how the media and the folks who sell stuff have gotten us to believe we have to spend, baby spend, And that way we never get around to making ourselves the, the first priority, which is of course to save at the top of the month, at the beginning of the month, not at the end of the month. And the math is that it's $1,300 a month. <laughs> that's fifteen six. That's exactly what this couple needs to set aside. That's one car payment. So, Daniel, what else did we see that uh, we find uh, folks falling into uh, bad habits around in terms of what they're doing with their money?
2: Well, there's a lot of things that people don't do correctly when it comes to money. And the way we want you to think of money is like building a house. When you're building a house, you don't start with the roof. You start with the foundation. So you have to build those good principles in first. So we're going to talk about some common things that keep people from becoming wealthy. And the first thing is thinking it's too early to start saving. We see this all the time. Younger people in their 30s or late 20s, they like the idea of saving for retirement, but they're so young that they think they've got hundreds of years to figure it out. And before you know it, they're, they're 40 and they're 50, and they've realized they haven't done anything. So that's the biggest thing that young people need to start doing is, is stop thinking that they have all the time in the world and start saving. Something like John said, you have to do it. You have to pay yourself first, whether it's five percent, ten percent, some part of your check. Get in the habit of paying yourself first. The second mini-
1: thing, yeah, sorry, go ahead.
2: The the second thing is failing to invest, and this yes. is going on in the lines. People get scared of investing because it sounds risky. There's a lot of different ways to invest, and in. what you what everyone should do is is either research what that means or talk to a financial professional like ourselves and figure out what investments are appropriate for you. But there's a lot of different ways to invest. And for most people, the easiest way to do it is in their 401k. And the 401k already provides a suite of, of funds that are available to invest in.
1: We'll be looking at the 401k in our shows, so please feel free to tune in and see the topics that we come up with. It looks like there's going to be some changes made to how we uh, work the 401k plan, but it is. And by the way, there we have noticed some changes from the standpoint of what employers are willing to contribute. But again, sometimes people only uh, contribute to their savings account at the level that the company is contributing, or not at all. Well, wait a minute if you're not going to make sure you have enough money behind door number one when you stop working who's going to do the job for you can you identify anyone and let's recognize that yes i think social security is not going anywhere and let's recognize that everyone on social security spends every dime but it's not enough it's uh by far not enough and we'll be looking at that as well but do keep in mind please folks that again spend baby spend cash or, or or credit we you can't borrow your way to prosperity <laughs> you've got to pay yourself first and we suggest that you start at 10% of your gross every month just like clockwork but do the math because that it might need to be 11.5% you don't want to be short it might need to be 15% but what is that ratio and are you what how how what do our parents used to tell us and we told our kids you make your habits, then your habits make you. So we've got to be about the business of making good habits and not just thinking, as I say, we can buy a truck and think that there's no way we can invest when we bought a truck. It's, in this case, it could easily be either or. Maybe he could sell the truck to one of his friends. And maybe his father or one of his friends has a, a car that's maybe two or three years old that, that, that he could buy with cash or maybe, you know, monthly payments for a year or two, then he's done. But now he could take that $1,300 a month and pay himself first and really smile knowing that I'm making myself the number one priority, which I need to do that because no one else is going to do it for me. And I can see that I'm, I'm on track. So we see people making a lot of excuses. What, what kind of excuses do you often see, Daniel?
2: There's, there's all kinds. And most of them come to what people perceive as emergencies. And that's the one of the biggest things that's going to derail what you're doing because you, you perceive things as emergencies and it has to get done right away. And that may not always be the case, and it may be the case, but you, the, the bottom line is you're not, you don't have your, your principles already set. If you don't have savings to cover those emergencies, then it has to come from somewhere else. So now you have to take withdrawals from your retirement accounts or put money on credit cards and do things that are going to keep you from achieving that, that, that financial success because you just haven't done the small things first. And the next thing that we want to look at is the unconscious spending. And unconscious spending goes along with those emergencies. They add up really easily. So think about it like going to Starbucks. How often do you go to Starbucks and you spend five bucks or 10 bucks and then you don't even realize it. And at the end of the month, all your money's gone and it's all gone to Starbucks.
1: Yeah, so that, that I mean-
2: unconscious spending that is, 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 it adds up so quickly.
1: That, and that's uh, it's a good point because you just get used to it. You put it on auto pay and it's a promissory note for the rest of your life. So you owe somebody so much money. Uh, we found that before COVID, 50% of us, no matter our income, looked like we were having uh, the time of our lives, eating out everywhere we could. Had these wonderful kitchens that we used to not use. I guess they're becoming usable now. But uh, along with the eating out too often, which used to be a luxury, right? Somebody's birthday, that was maybe once or twice a year. Now it's uh, half the week. Uh, now we we're at home, and I think that helps us save some money. So what are we doing with that money? But the other one that we're not saving on, and in fact, we may be moving in the opposite direction, that's, that's drinking excessively. What do you say about that one, Daniel?
2: That goes along with the unconscious spending. It's something that happens way too often and way too unconsciously. And it's the same thing. You go out a couple of times a week and you spend 20, 30, $40 at the bar. And you don't even think about it until you look at your bank account. And then you realize how much you actually did spend on it.
1: Well, you're assuming we look at our bank accounts, right? We used to look at them all the time. We used to make sure you walked out of your house with your your wallet, your keys, and your checkbook. Now everything's on auto pay or auto uh, take the money out of my account, right? Just walk up to the wall and the ATM will produce all this cash. Just go, right? Just go up to the wall. It's that easy, but most of us aren't looking, I think, I'm afraid, at our balances. And as I say, not uh, setting ourselves, uh, making ourselves first in terms of the habits. And then uh, the last one we'll touch on before break is uh, not setting goals. Uh, just as we say, becoming blind to the purchasing that you think you have to continue executing as opposed to being more definitive and using the word budget and applying the word math. Those are good words that affluent people are not afraid to use so that you can live within your means, pay yourself first, and maybe you save you say 10, 20% off the top first, you spend the rest as opposed to spending 100% as though you're ever going to be able to catch up. So we're gonna to go to break, Daniel, but give us the guidance, please, and the location for those calculators.
2: First thing, make sure you check out our calculators at www.ybpoor.com forward slash calculators. You'll see two calculators, one for retirement, one for insurance. Please feel free to, free to fill it out and send us a message. If you have any questions or feedback on them, you can reach us at contact at ybpoor.com, on Twitter at Money on Course, or through Facebook. You can find us through Investors Advantage.
1: Yes, and we love your questions, and we're going to come back with some good questions and set up the conditions for why you might need insurance, and also to look at when you don't need insurance. It's not everyone needs it, but some people do, and, and many of us say, well, I have insurance, but I ha-, we haven't done the math to see if there is sufficient coverage, and that's what we would be talking about with uh, Scott Zimmerman, Chartered Life Underwriter and Registered Health Underwriter. So we'll see you on the other side of the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash voice America.
0: At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. now back to fiscal fitness welcome back
1: folks so glad you could join us this beautiful afternoon and we have scott zimmerman with us who was going to help us talk about life insurance but let me see if i can set the stage in a couple of ways uh first we find that it's worthy of looking to see what's going around in the world i mean we can all think we're alone and we're not fact is we drink the same water we breathe the same air, and we used to fly the same airplane. So what is going on in one part of the world may happen over there first, but that doesn't mean it won't happen over here next. And what I'm saying is we find that uh, in uh, China, according to Bloomberg, after this spike in the coronavirus in March, uh, couples emerged from weeks of streak, strict lockdowns aimed to stop the spread of COVID-19. And then all of a sudden we find a bunch of people literally standing in line when the courts open to uh, file for divorce. So much so that some of the people working in those courtrooms and those courthouses wouldn't have a chance to get a drink of water because of so many people deciding we've got to split this arrangement. Now, that may happen and, and it may be something that I, like I say, it wouldn't surprise me if that happens on this side of the pond as well. And, and a lot of us, uh, you know, we have life insurance, but we haven't done the math to see how much is enough. And so the second part that I wanna set up here, and then I'll ask Daniel to show you how we go through this process of to helping you determine how much life insurance you need, is to look at in the event of divorce, there's so many uh, family law attorneys who spend so much of your money arguing with the other party, making sure that you're either obligated for, or you're gonna be the recipient of child support, and spousal support for life. However, remember we talked about having that door that two parties are holding with all this stuff on it, and then one dies. So if it is the case that uh, your spouse is promised to pay you $80,000 a year for life, did your spouse leave the back door open where they get to escape by dying, for example? And then you get exactly what? Well, you spent all that time and all that money, but you didn't make sure in this way you you need to to have in advance a $2 million policy of uh, life insurance policy on that spouse and using the 4% rule, that means that you would know, I present the death certificate, I put this money to work, I might get five, six, seven 6, 7% as an annualized return, but I withdraw at 4%, 4% withdrawal on $2 million is 80,000. Now the survivor can miss the other party, but not miss their money. Whether or not the other party will be missed, the money they already know has been duplicated. So you went to heaven. God bless you. I might miss you, but uh, the money you did not take with you. So Daniel, help us uh, see with, with Scott here how we go about this kind of exercise.
2: Well, there's essentially two ways that we look at determining how much life insurance is, is, is needed. And the most common, what most people think is, um, I'll get enough life insurance to pay off my house. And that's about it. And what they're thinking is, if I don't have a house payment, then I can live off of my income. That's sometimes the case, but not always the case. What Ideally, what we prefer to do is not look at having to pay off all the debt, but rather replicate the income that might be lost. Right. So John's example, if there's 80,000 that needs to come in, then we need two million dollars because two million dollars will produce 80,000 a year. That's what our real target is.
1: So with our couple, the hundred thousand dollars, the frontline workers, I believe of uh, uh, female is making 60,000 and the male is making 40,000 for a total of 100. What we want each party to do, and and Daniel's going to walk us through this in the event, uh, as I say, it's not $500,000 each, is how much do I need if you're not here? That's the question only I can answer. Do not dictate to me, do not tell me. I'll figure it out, but I have to go through this process. So if uh, she's used to his $40,000 a year using the 4% rule, what kind of insurance does she need on him?
2: Well, the first thing before that, what, what, I really, what we really want you to do is look take a detailed look at your expenses. Good have idea. them written down, know exactly where your money's going. Then you can determine how much of that person's income you really need. Cause that's the question. If you're used to getting 40,000 per year from that person and you really only need 20,000 cause you have enough income to cover the rest of your expenses, then you don't need to reproduce the whole 40. You only need to reproduce 20, but let's, let's suppose you actually need the whole 40. So in that case you need a million dollars to cover that income.
1: And how about for, let's see, how do we place that? Uh, she's, he's used to her $60,000 a year. and Let's suppose that he needs 100% of that 60 if she has the nerve to go to heaven. What kind of coverage should she be provided?
2: That's 1.5 million.
1: 1.5 million. So 1.5 million on the one making 60,000. And a million on the one making 40,000. Assuming that both parties, as survivors, need 100% of what the other one was making, now both survivors know that yes, I'm good financially. Emotionally, I might be a mess, but I won't have to go through the services worrying about missing you and missing your money in the same time and space within the first 30 days of life evolving without the other breadwinner being in the equation. So Scott, tell us more about your thoughts on this and and describe, I think a lot of people get lost in, is it term or is it uh, permanent insurance, right? And the first thing, again, folks, we're saying to you is let's figure out, like Daniel says, how much expense or what income are you trying to duplicate? That is the survivor's determination. That's their job but but talk about the differences between the kind of life insurance and i know you do a lot of work with uh, long-term care yes. along with disability and a lot of work with uh, corporate plans with their corporate life insurance that's 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 your mainstay as i understand it
3: right um so the question being is like what's the is the question what's the right type of life insurance to have yes okay well i'm, I'm, I'm going to give a vague answer to that because i think it's going through the exercises using your calculator that you guys offer and figuring out the right amount. I think you want to determine the right amount to have first and then determine what's the right kind. I mean, when it comes to life insurance, there's so many different kinds. There's term life insurance, which is usually the least expensive way to go in the beginning, and you're buying it for a certain amount of time, usually 10 years, 15, 20, or 30 years, you can lock in the number, the rates for that amount of time. But when there's so many different types of permanent life insurance, such as variable life insurance, whole life insurance, equity index life insurance, universal life insurance, second to die. So there's determining the amount you need and then, then we can back into what's the best type to have, how long you need it. And a lot of those permanent life insurance policies you can design them to be what you want them to be. Last to a certain age, build up cash values, Maybe you don't need cash values. So there's lots of fine tuning we can do with those policies. Um,
2: hey, Scott, let's start with the basics. What's the difference between term and permanent insurance and permanent insurance?
3: Good question. Term insurance is you're
2: buying it for a certain term,
3: usually 10, 15, 20, or 30 years. You're and then watching, what happens after? After that time, you can still keep the policy, but the rates skyrocket. So at the 30, if you bought a 30 year term, you're paying a thousand dollars a year, the 31st year could look something like $40,000 a year. I mean, the, the numbers are astronomical what they go up. So the, and then there's permanent, which is the name permanent. It's permanent. It's there for when you need it. It goes all the way to, you could set these policies up, good age 125. People are living longer than ever before. 125 is old, but you could set them up how you want them to look.
2: So, so, when should someone look at getting a term policy versus a permanent, a whole life policy?
3: You know, a lot of people, the reason why people get term insurance is it's affordable. So, people, maybe when they're younger, it's better to get permanent insurance when you're younger, but um, it's better if you need it for just a short amount of time. A lot of people look at it saying, I want to get my kids through college. I want to get, I want to make in X amount of years, my home is going to be paid off. So X amount of years, certain things are not going to be needed any longer. That's where term insurance really, I think, makes a lot of sense. And also, again, it's really, really affordable. And, and the way
1: we look at it is, uh, you know, like this couple, it's a good one to look at. They've got 35 years. So we want a bridge. So we typically, if they're to the extent that they had $2.6 right now, they would be self insured, have no need for life insurance. On the other hand, if they have a special needs child, for example, where that uh, problem or that money is going to be needed for a very, very long time, that's probably more like a permanent policy that would be in order because this would be something that would come into play in the event either breadwinner passes away. Now, let me just say this, because one of the things we find is people take out insurance policies and avoid telling the people who are going to be the beneficiaries yeah. You you need to look at your beneficiaries, make sure they are who you want them to be, and then tell the folks who is supposed to get the money. Because if you don't tell them, I'm not sure uh, that the insurance company is going to look at the death certificates and look at the beneficiaries and say, oh, Scott, you're due uh, $2.5 million dollars. Mm-hmm that typically does not happen. So um, Mrs. Zimmerman would need to know uh, that Scott has a two and a half million dollar policy with XYZ company so that all she has to do is present this death certificate to receive that check. It's that simple. But if you complicate it and we can't find who's supposed to be or they don't show up with the death certificate, I'm just wanting you to know, don't be surprised if the insurance company buys another building because you just left more cash in their coffers. God bless you. So really look to see what are we trying to do here. If if, if, there, if it's temporary, where we think in 30 years or so, we will have $2.6 million in our example, uh, then we may only need term. And you can evaluate this as you're going along. But if it's a more permanent situation, then you, you need to be looking at uh, at a more permanent type policy. So it's all depending on what you're trying to cover. In other words, you're trying to pass on this risk to the insurance company. That's what they're in the business of doing, accepting that risk that you're not willing to take so that you know that you're fully covered. But we want to make sure you know what fully covered is to you and if that is, that is sufficient. Scott, talk a little bit about second to die or, or even some of the, well, the ways that some people use insurance policies to the ones that are really well-to-do stuff them with money and then borrow the money out of it for the rest of their lives and never yeah. have to pay the taxes how does that work
3: yeah well, there's two things one you mentioned is building up uh, life insurance that that can that can build significant cash value accumulation some a lot of these uh, permanent life insurance policies you could set them up where you're putting money money away it's growing the money's growing inside the policy tax deferred and at a certain point, you could start pulling out the money and borrow the money out and get the money out tax-free. So some people, a lot of people are looking at permanent life insurance as supplement to the retirement income. So it's just a, a great way to have a very little risk, again, tax-deferred growth, and get the money out tax-free. You also mentioned second-to-die life insurance. That's a type of policy where you're buying it on two people. So it's paid from a second – the death benefit is paid on the second death. And usually these policies are bought to help take care of estate taxes for the wealthy. It's when you're, the number is going to change soon, in a few years, right? It could come back sooner. But as of right now, it's roughly $11 million tax free gets passed on to your beneficiaries per person. If you're married, that'd be $22 million. And everything are after after the $22 million, if you're married, is going to be taxed at roughly 40%. So life insurance is an inexpensive way to cover that the difference that is gonna be due to the, uh, for the cover of the state taxes. So second to die is an inexpensive, le, it's less expensive to do a second to die because it's paid on the second death than it is to do two separate policies. And
1: easier to get the underwriting done, right? Because one may have a health issue that kind of is offset by the other. We're gonna to go to break. Uh, Daniel's gonna have some questions for you. But folks, when I talk about those beneficiary designations, that also includes all retirement accounts, because it's the same story. We, we looked at a situation we studied, Daniel and I, where this was a lady who, you know, didn't get married for a while, started a, a, a tax sheltered annuity back in New York contributed for 30 years, unfortunately died with about a million dollars in the account. Her sister was the primary beneficiary. She never changed that. Guess who was shocked? That would have been her husband who didn't get a dime. Because if you put this person's name on that blank, that's who the check's going to be issued to. He sued the company. He sued the state. He schooled the school board. And the sister said, ha, I got it all and you're not getting a dime. So Daniel, take us to break and we'll come back with uh, some questions for Scott, please.
2: You can contact us at contact at ybpoor.com by email. We're on Twitter at Money On Course, and we're on Facebook at Investors Advantage.
1: Beautiful. We'll see you on the other side. We'll be right back.
2: America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn.
0: At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return That's ybpoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey.
3: The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now back to Fiscal Fitness.
1: So glad to have you back this afternoon, folks. John Grace and Daniel Medina with Fiscal Fitness. And we have a special guest, Corporate Strategies uh, gentleman with the does he's a CLU chartered life underwriter, registered health underwriter, Scott Zimmerman? And Daniel, I know you had some questions for Scott, uh, leading off something about the audits uh, in terms of uh, some changes there.
2: Well, the question that we often get asked is, What do you do, or how do you evaluate policies that were taken 10 or 15 or however long ago? How do you know that they're still doing what they're supposed to do? So, Scott, what do we do in that case? Yeah,
3: that's a good question, is you know, um just to step back and say most people do, you know, they you usually bought it, They usually have bought a, a life insurance policy by meeting with an agent, looking at an illustration that the agent provides. It says, if you put an X amount of dollars, your life insurance is going to be there for you. And they usually take that policy and they put it in their filing cabinet and don't look at it any longer. And they just pay their monthly or annual premiums and they, they don't pay attention to it. But what we've, what we've come across is these po- a lot of policies that were bought 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, are not doing what they were supposed to do. They're falling apart because interest rates, insurance companies lowered interest rates that they're paying. They've raised mortality expenses inside the policy. These policies that people thought are gonna go up to the end are not gonna make it. We're seeing them fall apart in people's 70s and 80s and they're healthy still. So there is ways to fix it. What we recommend doing is doing a life insurance audit. Okay, um, an audit, what an audit does is you fill out this audit form and allows an you can either do it yourself contact the insurance company ask them to run an enforced illustration that says if i continue paying my present premiums how long is the policy going to last till and most people are going to be really surprised they're really not they're not doing well but you can also ask the, the next question would be what premium is it going to take to, get, to make my policy last till age 90 95 100 whatever number it is a uh, that you think you're going to live to and the insurance company can provide that so it just maybe there's ways to save your policy by putting in extra premiums. What we do find a lot, not every time, is sometimes the new companies, and the, I'm sorry, the new insurance plans out there, are a lot less expensive than the older plans. So you can get a new policy and actually save money and guarantee your guarantee your, the insurance will be there when you need it most
2: great point because a lot of times what people do is they take insurance policies for whatever amount of years and they never look at it again until they get some kind of premium notice that uh, it's going to run out or that the premium's going up and then they freak out and they don't know what to do and the biggest thing is people don't really understand the way these work which is understandable there's a lot of moving parts to insurance so that's why we recommend you work with an agent that that knows what they're doing and can explain things to your satisfaction so with all this changes in the world, this pandemic era, what's it like applying for insurance? Is it the same as it was before? Is it different? Has it changed at all?
3: It's, um, I would say that's a great question. Applying for life insurance today has never been easier. I've been doing this over 30 years, never been easier today than it's ever been. Are you sure? I am sure. (laughs) That's a good, good. uh, You know, it used to be, even if you were buying a $25,000 life insurance policy, Filling, filling out a long, long application, having an insurance examiner come to your house, doing the blood test, urine test, paramed exam, sometimes doing a treadmill, just to wait to get approved for insurance. Nowadays, these insurance companies can dial right into your, right into your medical records. They can look at what prescriptions you're taking. They, you can get up to $5 million of life insurance without an exam just by doing a simple phone interview that lasts 20 to 30 minutes. Now, what age? Oh, that's a good question. Usually up to age 60 when it works best. Now, the insurance company has the right, if they hear on the phone interview or they see something in your medical records, you're taking a medication, you've had some health problems, they have the right to order an exam. But we see about 60, 65% of all applications that we're applying for get approved without an exam. Age 60, up to $5 million, easier than it used to be. Easier, it's the same exact rates, with an exam, without an exam. So there's no, it's not like you're paying more money not to have an exam. It's the same exact thing. Yeah, it's never been easier. And a lot of times you only have to fill out an application. It's literally go, the agent going online, filling out your information. It's automatically uploaded to the insurance company. The insurance company then does the phone interview. And we see policies sometimes done within you know 48 hours, printed and issued. That's
2: amazing. Somebody's, so let's talk about long-term care insurance. What do you see in a long-term care world? What's changed?
3: Um, a lot has changed with long-term care. It used to be where you would buy a policy, and it's a use it or lose it type policy where you would pay for long-term care, and if you never needed it, you it was money just spent, like car insurance, homeowner's insurance. Nowadays, those are not really bought that often because the rates are not guaranteed, and most companies have had rate increases throughout the years. Not saying they're bad plans because they're actually really good plans. But nowadays, most people are buying, when it comes to long-term care insurance, hybrid type plans. Plans where you can put your money into it and you don't lose it if you don't, if you don't need it. So what I mean by that is, as an example, life insurance, you can buy a life insurance policy and have a long-term care rider on top of it. With that, As you're paying for this life insurance policy, hopefully you never need long-term care but if you don't need it, the death benefit goes to your beneficiary's tax-free. But if you need the long-term care insurance, you can tap into the death benefit to pay for the long-term care needs, home health care, nursing care, and everything in between. And it's usually a three to four percent a month that you can allow to withdraw out of your death benefit to pay for care.
1: So either you're going to use it for yourself if you were the applicant, right? And if you and and maybe you and the spouse, right, significant other, whatever the combination might be, did not need this, and both of you pass on, the balance of the insurance gets uh, passed on to the beneficiaries. Is Tax- that what you're exactly. saying? Exactly.
3: So it's a way to pay for something, have the care, but if you never need it, which hopefully you don't, at least the money you put out will go to towards your beneficiaries, or your family. You're not losing your money. So I would it's like either or. It's <laughs> either or, right? And I would like to say the other thing. A lot of people don't realize it, but two out of, statistically, two out of three people over the age of sixty-five will need long-term care insurance for an extended period of time. I mean, it's it's literally the number seventy percent. That's two out of three people. Hopefully, not everybody on this is not going to ever need it. The statistics are high, and if you don't have a long-term care policy, the cost of long-term care is growing, expenses are getting higher, people are living longer than ever before. And it's, if you don't have care, you have to pay for this yourself.
1: Well, and and, Scott, what does that often
3: tally up to? In other words, I think there's a figure for
1: five years uh, before the last time we get to breathe, the amount of money that uh, the folks go through amounts to?
3: Yeah, uh, oh, statistically for um, home health care, it's four and a half years that people need home health care and two and a half years for nursing care. Those are statistics, and the cost of care is it's a wide range. It matters where you are, what type of care you need, and what type of facility you'd like to stay in. But for home health care, we see averages in the state for not full-time care, for part-time care, five to $6,000 a month on average. And then nursing care, for a nursing home, it matters what type of facility you want to stay in. Do you want to stay in a, a Motel 6, or do you want to stay in the Four Seasons? You're going to pay pay accordingly. but. It's on average eight to nine thousand a month. And uh for care, so it's super, super expensive.
1: And then um, there's a way to kind of counterbalance. In other words, if you find you you needed someone for a period of time in the house for 10 hours a day, 24 hours a day, but now you want to back it down to let's say five hours a day, what happens to that cost per hour?
3: Uh the cost per hour just it just it goes down. It's it's usually on the home health care, it's usually an hourly rate you're paying for. So you said cost. it goes
2: down, but it, which, which I think what you mean is as the hours, the more hours you need, the lower the cost. The less hours you need, the higher the cost, which is counterintuitive. Like, exactly. Yeah, uh, that's
1: the aha moment we saw clients go through, and it's it's 100% counterintuitive. Wait a minute, I need you less, and I still I needed you. I was paying you $12 an hour, now I have to pay you $15 an hour, and yeah. I need you less. It comes out almost about the same money.
3: Right. And there's, you know, the other thing I think what you what, what you and Daniel offer are some amazing plans also. Some, um, if people have money sitting in CDs or they're sitting on cash they're not doing anything with, and they feel they're never going to need care, you can help them with getting one of those hybrid policies where they can put in a lump sum. It's liquid, or most of it's liquid at any time. It has a death benefit, and it covers the long-term care. I mean, it's something I know you guys work with. It's Those are amazing, amazing plans. It's a way, again... Pull the money out if you never need it. Most people think they're never going to need long-term care. Statistics say the opposite.
2: Yeah, it's something that we use. It's uh, something we use a lot more lately. Just because it makes more sense. The user those policies were cheaper, but if you never use it, you never you never get any benefit from it. And now those premiums are going up.
1: Sorry, it's also important for folks to have their policies looked at again. They may be the best thing since sliced bread, but many times people bought it 20 years ago, never look at it. Don't compare it in today's market. It's worthy of taking the time to do a do comparison shopping. Is what I have good enough? Uh, do I need to make some adjustments? Are there some amendments? What, what is there enough coverage? For example, uh, 30 years ago, maybe uh, including uh, cost of living writer didn't make so much sense. These days, oh my goodness. You know, $3,000 a month, like for one of our couples when they took it out in like 1980, that was more than enough today that's not nearly enough so it's a we have to keep looking at these things as opposed to just being complacent yeah totally agree. okay so folks I hope you can tell that we're really dedicated to helping you not just survive but thrive as I say we've been helping one investor at a time since 1979 our our trademark happens to be the proof is in the planning and for us that's very important to continue looking at things with fresh eyes, uh, not becoming complacent, not turning into Rip Van Winkle and waking up and discovering that so much has changed. And I want you to know, the financial plans we create for our clients are highly customized, but they have three things in common. They're strong, they're safe, and they're simple. So when I say strong, I mean they can weather market uncertainty. That's our intent. And when I say safe, it means that we're doing everything we possibly can to mitigate risk. We want you to identify the risk. Is it acceptable? Is it excessive? Is there a way it might be mitigated or reduced? And simple means that you know what you're doing with your money and why. You're not in the dark with what you're doing. So uh, each plan is customized but they all have that three-legged stool under them, if you will, to be strong, safe, and simple so that you can see what you're doing and you, be- and you have reason to believe that no matter what the winds might be doing, hurricane, fill in the blank name, you're doing okay, or you're doing better than most, or we're meeting the objectives that you have, both short-term and long-term. So uh, what other questions, do you have another question for, for Scott? Before we let him go, uh, Daniel? No one before we go. No. Okay.
2: I do want to say though, we talked a lot about insurance, and we've talked some very general ideas. And this is this is something that's really particular to everyone individually, along with their whole financial plan. So work with a professional that knows what they're talking about, because these are some of these things are not intuitive. Like how much insurance I need, or how much I should be saving, or what investments are right for me. Uh, typically, a financial professional, fee based financial professional, that like we are, work can help you figure out all those questions for. Your scenario?
1: Yes, that's what it's all about, Alfie. That's what it's all about. We want you to know what you're doing and why, uh, and not to be afraid. And, and as I say, be, be willing to embrace some of the habits that the wealthy have embraced, like. You using math Uh, using our fingers if we need to or toes it doesn't matter let's get the answer let's make sure it's correct and let's not be afraid to budget Uh, by the way we have one couple i just love this this story they the the the, they have sold two businesses for five million dollars a four percent withdrawal is two hundred that is exactly what they need to roll the way they roll and their budget, by the way, when they go on vacation to various parts of Europe, $21,500. That's their budget. Now, what they do is they take that amount, put it in a bank, wherever the heck they are, and each of them do whatever they do. They take the money out of that 21.5 at that bank, wherever they are. And then as they see the account depleting itself because they've spent the money that they set aside there, guess what they start doing? Happily start packing. So this notion of budgeting, you know, it's, it's, it's not painful. It's a good way to say, this is what we allotted, and this is what we spent, and we're done. We'll come back next year. So speaking of uh, coming back, we'll be back here next week, uh, right here at Voice America. Delighted to, this is our first month at Voice America with Fiscal Fitness, John Grace and Daniel Medina. And, and let me just say to you folks, with all the uh, the craziness that's going around, like I say, uh, this coronavirus epic of disaster proportions, just please keep doing the three Ws wash your hands, watch your distance, and um, make sure you wear a mask. Uh, they, they might help us. Okay. <laughs> I think the odds are more favorable that they help us than they don't. So let's uh, maintain that habit and get to the other side of this thing so that we can see uh, things coming apart at the, at the seams in many ways. And I think we're going to see that, but there is always, think of it this way, winter can be harsh, even in Southern California, but spring always follows winter. Always. Always. So as bad as it gets, the strong survive and the weak have to die off. That's just nature, right? But let's get to the other side to see, uh, take the bridge to get to the other side to take advantage of the opportunities that are certainly going to be there for us if we are agile and if we're not trying to just make sure the equity values go back to wherever they might be, but that we have cash and that way we can take advantage of bargains as they might become available, whether they're companies, whether it's stocks, you know, direct ownership of companies, whether it's other pieces of real estate or businesses. The the prices do have a a way of uh, wavering. And those who have cash, maybe that's where it came from after the depression, cash is king, I don't know. But uh, certainly a lot of folks did very well. In fact, on a per capita basis with depression one, more people became millionaires than any other time in history. So we will see you next week. (coughs)